Fatheads, you're tuning into another episode of Sharing Our Pairings. This is Sharing Our Pairings, episode 109, Dark Edition. And uh, we'll get into why it's called the Dark Edition just momentarily. I am your host, John the Cigar Surgeon. And Sharing Our Pairings is broadcast live around the world, picked up on the Armed Forces Radio Network. And of course, we will broadcast our home base, CigarFederation.com, which is broadcast through YouTube.com and now streamed through Facebook Live, so you can get those questions in. Via Facebook Live, you can get those questions in the scarfederation.com. Doesn't matter. Either or. Works for me. I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Trippy Trent. Trippy, what's going on tonight, brother? Hey, hey. Hi, hi. Uh, I, for our, our video watchers, I'm looking a little different with my glasses here. Got some allergy stuff going on. That's always fun. I feels you. Tis the uh, season. I'm, I'm excited about this show. Right? Uh, we took a week off, and every time we take a week off, we come back, and I'm like, Raring to go. Raging. Ready to rage. Of course, the reason we took a week off is entirely my fault. And by my fault, I mean the, the fault of the weather. Uh, for those who care, because it's interesting to me, we went from, uh, we were, we were really sitting in the mid to low 80s, which is pretty nutso for May, for Calgary, for those who care. And basically the next day it dropped to 32 degrees. That's and some crazy weather. I mean, that's not the craziest weather drop we've had, though. We've, I mean, we've had more than that. Like, we've gone from 82 degrees down to, like, minus 5 and then back up again. Jeez. And I would have I been – I mean, you guys have seen the channel. You know I'm ready to rock if it's 32 degrees, minus 10. Don't matter. I'm ready to rock. Only problem is we also had wind gusts of uh, 65 miles an hour, uh, <laughs> which is uh, 100 kilometers an hour science. That's uh, that's pretty fast, and uh, at that point, you know, it became an actual hazard to host the show, and unfortunately, I can't smoke inside. So all of that was really my long apology to all of our live listeners and all of our podcast listeners out there who uh, tune into our show every week, and we do appreciate that very much. I know that you guys are out there, you know, we've been looking at the geography, and they're everywhere, man, like everywhere, like worldwide. people in Australia, worldwide, Korea, um, Sweden. Denmark, Germany, like basically all of Europe listens to our show, and uh, we appreciate that. Yeah, basically the whole much. continent. Yeah. Uh, but back to the wind. More importantly, that kind of wind is real bad for your cigar. You're not going to enjoy your cigar in that kind of wind. Your, your burn's going to be terrible. I like where your priorities, priorities are at, Trippy. That's, that's a good point. It's not, about, it's not about my personal safety. Yeah, it's, it's, about, about, it's about whether my Hoya de Nicaragua Antonio is going to smoke correctly. My Antonio Dark Corojo. Which is what we're smoking tonight. So let's um, let's let's just get into it. Um, this is of course by Jorge de Nicaragua. And for those of you who don't know who Jorge de Nicaragua is, uh, I have to ask you: Do you smoke cigars? Mm-hmm. Because Jorge de Nicaragua is the oldest, the oldest, not one of the oldest, the oldest cigar factory in Nicaragua, in Esteli, and they've seen some stuff in their time. They opened in 1968, and they've been through some good times and they've been through some bad times. If you have the chance, if you're in Esteli, Nicaragua, which, by the way, Nicaragua is the safest Central American country, for those of you who are like, oh, Nicaragua is so scary. People are going to they're gonna shoot me. or No, <clears throat> Nicaragua is perfectly safe. Great country. If you're in Esteli, you've got to do the tour. got to do the tour point in Nicaragua. Absolutely. It's, got to. It's fantastic. And, I mean... Uh, I'm trying to remember if she retired or if she's still there. Uh, I believe they still have three employees who worked at, who at the very least worked there from 1968 until their retirement 
which was in, within the last 10 years. Um, yep. And I know in 2015, there was a woman in HR who was one of the three originals. Um, I'm not sure if she's retired yet or not. Because obviously, if she had a job in 1968, she's uh, she's getting near that, that good old retirement age. I mean, that's, that's a long time to be working in a cigar factory. I work in a cigar factory for a week, and I think I'm ready to retire. You work in a cigar factory for 30-plus years. Oh, yeah. You're going to be tired. Now, obviously, you're not going to be on the rolling floor for 30-plus years. You're going to move up in the company. You know, Maybe you're mm-hmm. going to uh, take over. Maybe, <clears throat> maybe you're going to displace Juan Cancel. You don't know. Juan Martinez. Juan Martinez. It happens. Awkward. This is where my head's at. This is why I need this show tonight. Yeah. Sorry, Juan Martinez, who is, uh, by the way, one of the classiest guys in, uh, in, in the scar industry. Just like super nice guy. Um, he was uh, gracious enough to give the tour to uh, the Cigar Federation group that went down. Uh, and that, I think that was like my seventh or eighth tour <laughs> of Hawaii to Nicaragua. And, you know, people ask me, they're like, well, you're, you're down in Nicaragua. Well, and people, I mean, my fiance, you're down in Nicaragua, like every three months, it seems. And you've been to this factory like seven, eight, nine times. Doesn't it get boring? And to that, I say, no, it, it like literally never gets boring. I could do that tour five times a, a year. And I would find it every bit as interesting and every bit as fascinating and every bit as fun and enjoyable as the previous seven times. Yeah, I completely agree. And, uh, and for people who don't, who haven't been down there, who don't know what it's like to be down there and stuff. One of the most fun things about going multiple times is seeing the changes that they make. Absolutely. Um, the change, first of all, the changes in kind of their operations. Sometimes they're just moving people around. Sometimes they're changing like the actual way that they do rolling and stuff like that. But then the most interesting part for me and the most exciting part is going, Ooh, what's that one? Ooh, what's that one? Uh, because they've got stuff down there that's going into boxes that hasn't hit the market yet and they haven't announced yet. Uh, and so you just get a little peek behind the curtain. Secret sauce. Oh, yeah. Now, of course, they've released, uh, because they have been around for a very long time, they've released some celebration cigars, the Quattro Cinco, and then they re-released the Quattro Cinco, and they did something which I really appreciate, which was they didn't take a limited cigar and re-release it. And, you know, if you want to re-release a limited cigar, no, no, no problem. I like, I like cigars. But they changed it up. They made it a new blend. It was no longer a Nicaraguan Puro, which Hoyt in Nicaragua is really actually known for a lot of their core blends being Nicaraguan Puros because, you know, the, the name of the company, they, they say it's the spirit of Nicaragua, and really they want to put forth the tobaccos of Nicaragua and showcase them. And I think they do it very well. And I think, right or wrong, you know, they're really known for cigars that are very full-bodied. But uh, that's not always the case, especially now with some of the new offerings like the Hoya. Yeah. Which, you know, is a very approachable cigar for everyone. And uh, the Hoya Black, which is not, you know, certainly by today's standards, it's not crazy. It's like medium, medium plus maybe. Yeah, definitely. But, but, but we are smoking a ball buster of ball busters tonight. Yeah, this one is, uh, this one's serious. Uh-huh. This is kind of the, uh, the top echelon of strength when it comes to Hoya de Nicaragua, who's pretty much known for their strong cigars. Yeah. Um, we're smoking the Dark Ant- Antanio. Antonio. I, I still think it's Antonio, but I'm going to say Antonio because you know more stuff than I do, John. I don't know. I, I went. I went. I. Um, you know, I'm working on my Espanol, so I went online and I'm like, I need. I need to know how to pronounce this properly. After, uh, after you know, first of all, calling Juan Martinez by the wrong name, I want to make sure that I, I say the cigar and and everywhere I could say it was Antonio. Antonio right. Dark Corojo. 
can roll with that. So, I mean, the internet could be lying to me, but that's what I know. And this cigar is a ball buster. It is a full strength, full bodied. And I think it kind of, when it came out in 2009, and I don't think it re it re-energized the market for what was full bodied, but I think it certainly was at the time, one of the most full bodied sticks on the market. Features a Nicaraguan Corojo Oscuro wrapper. And you can see that. I mean, that wrapper is just dark. You know, it's crazy dark, right? Meaty. I mean, it's real thick and toothy. It's, it, I mean, that's a, that's a beefy wrapper. You know, they had to ferment that to get that to burn because it is a beefy wrapper. Uh, and then, of course, because it's Hoya, they use a Nicaraguan binder, Nicaraguan filler. I am smoking the El Martillo size. As am I. Uh, oh, fantastic. Okay, so it's a five and a half by 54, which I guess I would kind of call that a Robusto Extra. What say you? Yeah, that's what I would call yeah? it. Or, um, or El Martillo, as they call it. Yeah. It's their factory, and they can call it whatever they want. That's right. So one thing I actually just noticed, I was just pulling it up on their site because I couldn't remember whether it was a, uh, a Nicaraguan wrapper. I assumed it was, which was correct. Um, but, uh, having been on the tours and stuff, you know, in that little PowerPoint presentation, they show each blend and they have that little meter of how full it is. Mm -hmm. And of course the regular Antonio series is, uh, five bars out of five. Uh, this one is six out of five. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a hundred, it's 120%. It literally gives 120%. And, and by the way, major props to, because, you know, you were talking about the fact that we've been down there obviously a billion, million times. So we've, we've gotten to see the evolution of the factory, obviously the evolution of Esteli. And I have to give them props. I've been to a lot of factories and, they're, and they're, you know, there's, there's factories out there that are more beautiful than Hoya de Nicaragua. However, I don't think that there's a factory out there that does a cigar tour better than Hoya de Nicaragua. Uh, especially with their presentation, uh, the conference room, you know, and, and they're constantly evolving that process yeah, and just really enhancing are. it every, every year. Like there's always something new. Yeah. And, and one of the things that's not necessarily important, but it, it just gives the right kind of image is they make you feel important. Yes. Bringing you into that conference room and giving you a nice comfy chair and a big humidor full of cigars to choose from. Nicaraguan uh, coffee. Yeah, they're really, they're really, really welcoming, and they make you feel like they really want you to be there, which is um, that part's important. Making you feel it, uh, like you're important isn't the important part. Making you feel like you're appreciated and they want you there—that's what matters, and that's what they really, really want. And I think um, because I've kind of got to see the tour a few different ways, we uh, went down with um, some of our franchisees, store owners up here in Alberta. And they, this was their first factory tour. And I have to say major props. I think Angel was our uh, tour guide at the time. And one of the things they do, I think, really exceptionally well is they they take you through the entire cigar education process. So, you know, they show you what a Seiko leaf is. Then they burn a Seiko leaf and they show you why it's a Seiko leaf. And then you smell it and you touch it and you go through the, whole, the entire tobacco process. I mean, obviously, Drew Estate does it as well. But... You know, that was great to see that experience through the eyes of um, people who own cigar factories and never seen such a thing. And I think it really opened their eyes to the uh, really the entire process. Yeah. And and one of the things that I really like that not to talk about the factory tour, the entire show. One of the things I really like about their tour uh, when you're doing it as part of the cigar safari is that it primes you for the completely over the top tour experience of Drew Estate, mm -hmm. because they, I mean, they're, they're a very old, very traditional factory, uh, and they make a lot of cigars, but they're still not 
not even close to the scale of the Drew Estate factory. Yeah, I think that, I think that's a perfectly valid point, Trippy. I mean, if you went into Drew Estate on the Drew Estate Cigar Safari, which, by the way, the Drew Estate Cigar Safari sign-up link went live today. So if you sure haven't did. signed up, if you're a Drew Diplomat app, you would uh, Drew Diplomat app user, you would have gotten that link a little bit early. So you want to make sure to sign up for that. And uh, feel free to bug Logan about when the uh, Drew Estate Cigar Safari is for Cigar Federation because he loves that. Yes, he sure does. At any rate, going if you, if you went on the Drew Estate Cigar Safari and you went into the Drew Estate um, Grand Fabrica look, even the Grand Fabrica, not even the, um, the, uh, the new facility, it would, just, it would just be too overwhelming. You would yeah. not know how to function at all. Well, and, and you, wouldn't, you wouldn't have as much of a sense of scale. Uh-huh. You you would kind of if it was the only cigar factory you ever toured you would think wow cigar factories are enormous yeah and they're generally not that big there no. there are a couple super factories like that around the area but most of them are closer to the size of Hoya Nicaragua which is still a pretty big factory I mean yeah, we've been we've been to Esteli a bunch of times and you know we've seen um, you know everything from a boutique sized factory which is really just a modified house to Hoya de Nicaragua which is I mean, that's a, that's a big factory. Yeah, it's a big facility. Yeah, at any rate. At any rate, how's your cigar start now? It's good. I'm worried I'm going to get rained on here, um, which is going to suck if I do, because I'm not prepared for it. But whatever. A um, little bit about the uh, Antonio Dark Corojo. Uh, we forgot to mention MSRP, I think, on this bad boy. is somewhere between 7 and $8. I couldn't actually find it out. Uh, because this cigar is available everywhere. I mean, everywhere. I don't think you would ever walk into a B&M or any respectable shop and not find this on the shelf because it's just, it's just, it's, it's a cigar that you would definitely want to have on the shelf. Yeah. They're, they've got a, a, a pretty good reputation and they are very widely available. Essentially any cigar shop is going to have. So we're going to take our uh, first break before we get into our pairings here. So if you wouldn't mind staying tuned or a word from our sponsor. Sharing Our Pairings is brought to you by Gurkha Cigars. Gurkha Cigars, makers of the world's finest cigars. Try the 93-rated Heritage, featuring a Rosado, Ecuadorian Habana wrapper, Nicaraguan binder, and Dominican, Pennsylvanian, and Nicaraguan fillers. Blended by Gurkha's blending team at American Caribbean Cigars, it is hand-rolled Nicaragua and available in 35-count boxes. Talk to your local B&M about the Heritage today, or talk to them about other fine Gurkha cigars. Whatever your taste preference is, Gurkha has a cigar that's right for you. And of course, we are here uh, at Sharing Our Pairings, which is broadcast live, picked up on the Armed Forces Radio Network. I am your host, John, the Cigar Surgeon, joined as always by my co-host, Trippy Trent. We're doing some cigar pairings tonight. And first up is the, first up and only up, is the Hoya de Nicaragua, Antonio Duck Corojo. And uh, we're going to do some pairings. And I'm, I'm kind of, I'm, you know, I'm chomping at the bit. I think I'm halfway, halfway down my glass already. Preparing. Yeah, yeah, I've taken a couple sippies here. Been cheap. Uh-huh. So let, let's just get into it. I'm going to start out with something very special to me. Something that um, surprisingly I haven't paired yet on the show. And uh, as I listen to the sound of thunder overhead, this is a Wilson and Morgan barrel selection. And you're looking at this barrel, this bottle, and you're probably thinking, I've never seen that before. And this is for, for good reason. This is a uh, independent bottling. I'm going to hold up the uh, whiskey here so everyone can get a good peek at this deliciousness. Get that nice sort of golden, dark golden color to it, and it tastes as good as it as it looks. Believe me. Um, so this this is an independent bottler, and um, independent bottling is a thing that's been going on in Scotland for hundreds of years, really since the uh, beginning of Scotch whiskey. And Wilson and Morgan is owned by the Venetian family, uh, the Rossi family, 
And really, they just started importing their own whiskey in 1960, and then that grew to uh, forming Wilson and uh, Morgan in 1980. And then they really kicked off the uh, business uh, for independent bottling in 1992. So essentially, what an independent bottler does is they go around to a distillery and they say, hey, can you sell us a cask so we can bottle it on our own? And the reason you would do that is because then you can make you know a lot of the profit or mark it up or make it special or finish it in some specific way or Many, many other things that you can do with this whiskey or market in a different way. Um, and, and there's a lot of independent bottlers out there. Now, Wilson & Morgan tends to be uh, one of the much larger bottlers. Um, so, you know, essentially they go into a distillery and they'll say, uh, the distillery part of me will say, uh, you know, we've got this, this spirit in this cask. It's been there and it's not really to the typical profile that people expect from our, from our uh, distillery. <clears throat> and the most important thing for a distillery is consistency. So if you're known for a particular flavor profile, you don't want to go changing up your jam and coming out with this completely different flavor because it's it's actually going to shock your market. You're going to have people switching off your whiskey and really consistency is the name of the game. So what's nice is if they've got this bottle that's unusual, it's got a weird flavor, not weird's probably the wrong word, but just a, a flavor profile that is not typical for your distillery, this independent bottler can come along, snap it up and bottle it as their own. So... This particular bottle is from Tobamori, and it's an 18-year-old whiskey, uh, distilled in 1994, bottled in 2013. It is bottled at cask strength. You know I love that cask strength jam. Oh, love yeah. It. 54.3%. And then they've uh, finished it briefly in Pedro Jimenez sherry casks, and that's probably where some of that dark color comes from. They describe the flavor as candied orange, dried raisins, and a slightly buttery sweetness. I'd say all of that is bang on with a little bit of sherry spiciness. And uh, a little bit about Tobamori, who was formerly known as Lecheg. And they were founded in 1798. And they're kind of, a, they're kind of an oddity because they're located uh, by themselves in the Isle, the Isle, not the Isle, the Island of Mull. Island of Mull is uh, off the west coast of Scotland, just north of Isla and the Isle of Jura. And, uh, I mean, it's, it kind of seems like a small island to me, but it's listed as the fourth largest island in the United Kingdom. So it can't be that wow. small. Um, but there's, there's only about 2,800 people on the island. So I don't know if that, you know, to me that seems really small, but Scottish Standard's apparently quite big. The distillery itself uses a private loch, loch as their water source, and uh, they have four wash stills and four spirit stills. Uh, so they're, they've been consistently growing production year over year. And uh, curiously, they're considered a Highlands distillery. Highlands distillery. Interesting. Yeah. Even though they're out on an island? Mm-hmm. Um, and would you say the profile of that is similar to something that we're used to associating with like a, an Isla or an Isle of Jura? No. And I think that's probably why they picked this bottle up because I've had some Lecheg and, um, so Tobermory, I'm going to lose my, uh, lose my, um, flag here. Don't blow away, um, John. Grab that here. Wow. So yeah, I thought it was going to have a, have a nice, calm, warm evening, but apparently that is not in the, uh, not in the cards. At any rate, the Lecheg that they do, the Lecheg series, is actually uh, very heavily peated, so very different profile. But even the normal Tobamori doesn't taste like this at all. It's a, it's a very different flavor. So, you know, calling it a Highlands distillery, this does strike me as a Highland-type spirit. Like, it's got that sort of rich sweetness, the, the fruitiness. Um, I wouldn't call it delicate, but it's, it's not at all what you would expect out of a West Coast Scottish distillery. There's, there's really no hint of peat. Um, in fact, I'm pretty confident that this is uh, un- unpeated mar- uh, unpeated barley, but it, I mean, it smells like, it's like uh, orange rind meets uh, spicy sherry. 
It's really how I would describe it. Mm. It kind of tastes very similar. Yeah, it's that sounds good. She, she, she good. What do you got? And so my first is an an oldie but a goodie. Oh yeah, Oban fourteen. I've featured this a couple of times uh, because I just love it. I mm-hmm. can't get enough. Uh, if you don't know about Oban, it's actually a Highland distillery, um, but their style is a little closer to the Isla style with a little bit of that. I don't know iodiney seaweedy kind of smoky flavors because they do use uh peated barley though not not to the extent of most of the uh isla distilleries that we're used to um it's on the west coast of the highlands founded in 1794 as i've talked about before it was actually built prior to the town of oban which is now where it is it's in the middle of the town even though the town was kind of built around it Um, they make a mere 670,000 liters or 177,000 freedom gallons uh, using only two stills. So they're, they're pretty small. It's very small production. Before, they yeah. don't even have a website. Uh, they, as far as I can tell, they just make scotch and, and send it over here. Don't get time for the internet. It's too busy making whiskey. Yeah. Uh, and, and this is the 14 year expression uh, that comes in at 43% alcohol or 86 proof. Uh, so it's a little higher than the average, but not really outside the realm of, of uh, you know, watered down yep. cut whiskey. It's certainly cut. not cask strength. And it's good. I mean, <clears throat> Obon is, is, is uh, that's one of those whiskeys that kind of got me on the path to what we're going to be pairing later in this evening, which is a very heavily peated whiskey because yep. it's got that delightful smoke quality. You know, it's a, it's a very pleasant campfire smoke. It's not that, uh, you know... What what I think is delicious, but uh, you know, like burning tar, road tar, burning yeah, tire. But that's not for everybody. I mean, so if if you're one of those people who's tried like Lafroig, Talisker, Ardbeg, and you just can't handle it because it's just so overpoweringly smoky and charry, uh, try Oban if you can, because it's really uh, a couple of steps down in terms of sm- smokiness, but it's still got some of the same qualities. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I would I would completely agree with that. Getting back to the um cigar for a quick second before I talk about the um the pairing here. Um it's interesting how much my flavor pro- my um palate has changed over the years because I can remember a time where this cigar was just, you know, I, I used to call this my morning cigar in Nicaragua. So I'd have one of these with a coffee and uh and I would just be ready for the day cuz it would just supercharge me. And I find that the um, spices, which used to be like, I, I would used to classify this as extremely spicy. And now I, I find the spices to be quite balanced. And uh, there's just this overwhelming amount of creaminess from the cigar. And I, I, I mean, I find myself actually probably smoking this a little bit faster than I should because it's, um, it's just, it's delicious. It's balanced. Yeah, she good. Yeah, um, she good. Yeah, it's. I think I hadn't ever thought about it before, but there are a lot of cigars that have come on the market pretty recently that are extremely strong, but bounce out that strength and spice with a heavy hit of sweetness, uh, which is actually ties in with that, that other dram we were talking about that we're going to get to in a little while. Mm-hmm. Um, and it ends up being really strong and in your face, but balanced. It's not overpoweringly spicy, I don't think, which I agree with you. Before, the first time I had one of these, it was just, it just tasted like all spice to me. I couldn't yep. taste anything else. Uh, that being said, the retro hail is still pretty killer. It's got some bite to it. Yeah. 
Yeah, you won't be you won't be retroiling the cigar with every draw. I can tell you that right now. Yeah. But, so how's your first pairing going? I'll tell you what. I mean, this, and I wasn't kidding because I cheated. Before, you know, as we were doing our intro there, I kind of cheated, and I've been sipping on it. And if we just stop the show right now and I just continue finishing this cigar and finish this uh, this eighteen year old from Wilson and Morgan, I, I I mean, it's it's a it's a hundred percent pairing. It's it's a ten out of ten. Um, five out of seven, you know, it's, it's just, it's a perfect pairing. Um, I think the whiskey stands up in strength and body to this cigar perfectly without running over the cigar. The cigar's not running over the whiskey. So I do get a lot of that orange and it's not, um, when I talk about orange, orange is such a a wide range of flavor because you can have like that bitter orange that like with like the orange uh, rind. Rind. I mean, I, you know, that's good in, in certain times, but in a whiskey, I'm not really a fan. So really all I'm getting is that orange, uh, core component without any of that, um, the more bitterness citrusy or sourness. flavors, the less bitter, sour flavor. Yeah, exactly. And then it's got a, it's got a really oily mouthfeel. So it's quite satisfying, you know, kind of like when we talk about a cigar that's got really lots of smoke and then it's got just a little bit of, of, uh, sherry spices underneath that to anchor it all together. And, um, it does great with a cigar because, you know, again, the cigar could easily run over a lot of beverages. And I find that, uh, it really pulls the creaminess out of the cigar a lot. Um, like I'm getting a lot of creaminess out of the cigar, which is probably why I'm smoking a little bit faster than I should. How is your first pairing? Uh, I'm kind of right there with you. It is fantastic. We can we could stop this right now and call it a short pour edition. I think we'd both be right. <laughs> um, I find the the Oban starts off really sweet and then has a smoky kind of medicinal finish. And I think that goes really well with the cigar. The sweetness kind of brings out some of the spicy and more uh, savory flavors in the cigar. And then the smoky finish kind of prepares my palate for the next draw on the cigar, which is perfect. Yeah, I think the, uh, the um, <clears throat> you know, it is it is a bit tricky sometimes with a full-bodied <clears throat> finding finding the right pairing because it is very easy for a full-bodied cigar to run over a lot of beverages. And conversely, if you don't have a cigar that has enough body to it, something like a cask-strength whiskey can just, just eliminate all the, all the subtlety and all the nuance that's there. And fortunately, the Antennial... Uh, is not a cigar that I would describe as subtle. I mean, it's not built to be subtle, and therefore, you know, with a with a full-bodied, in-your-face whiskey, and really, we're not a really, you know, to be fair, we're really not in the full-bodied, in-your-face whiskey spectrum yet because that's really our last pairing of the night. Yeah. But um, she good. This is a, good, this is a yeah, great pairing. this is a great pairing. Fantastic. Yeah. So I'm not quite ready to get into our second pairing. So I think what we'll do is we'll have an early word from one of our sponsors, one of our show sponsors, and uh, we'll be right back after this word. This show is sponsored by Cigar Oasis. Don't spend all your time worrying about your cigar wrappers cracking, splitting, or falling apart from humidity fluctuation issues. Set it and forget it by choosing Cigar Oasis, a professional solution which provides equal distribution of humidity with precise electronic controls. Monitor your cigars through the internet using the smart humidor Wi-Fi attachment. Why don't you spend all your time enjoying your cigars and relaxing and let Cigar Oasis protect your cigars. Cigar Oasis has solutions for any humidor. Make sure you set it and forget it today. Sharing Pangs is broadcast live around the world, picked up on the Armed Forces Radio Network. I am your host, John the Cigar Surgeon. I am joined, as always, by Trippy Trent. We're doing some pairings tonight. Got a little whiskey. And uh, for the second one of tonight, I got a little got a little beer action. Time to, you know, go back to our core. As do I. I Fantastic. decided to go beer, too. Now, I didn't even realize, which I should have, looking at the show page, 
Exactly. I, I just saw your beer and just assumed it was the normal cool release. I didn't realize it was the oh, ultra yeah. cool release. Ultra so cool. Uh, I'm I'm pretty excited to uh, to hear your words and your thoughts on that. Uh, I will get into my second pairing here. As much as I don't want to set this whiskey down, I guess I, I'll come back to it. Yeah, come back to it. You can always pour a little more. Exactly. So this is from Brooklyn Brewery, and uh, as as the name gives you, Brooklyn, Brooklyn, New York, uh, actually in Williamsburg. I don't know the uh, communities of New York, but I assume that's one of the communities. So this yeah, is Will- the, uh, Williamsburg is a neighborhood in Brooklyn. Oh, okay, that makes perfect sense then. So this is the black chocolate stout, and it's uh, you know it's kind of got a classy, maybe even understated bottle there. Um, I picked up a six pack of these. And I've been steadily raging through them because they're quite delicious. A um, little bit about Brooklyn Brewery. As I mentioned, they're in Williamsburg, New York. And they were founded in 1988 by Steve Hindy and Tom Potter. And then they were joined by brewmaster Garrett Oliver in 1994. Um, this is a uh, chocolate stout, but it's brewed in a Russian Imperial Stout style. So that means it's, you know, big in your face, etc., etc. And it uses a ridiculous number of malts, as you would expect with a stout. So I'm going to read them off. Two-row, caramel, malted, um, and then a blend of American roasted malts, which are unnamed. And then for hops, you and you don't really see a lot of hops typically in a lot of stouts. So this is Williamette and American Fuggle, which we see a lot in some of the stouts that we've been drinking lately. 10% ABV, which is, you know, up there, but not crazy for this show. And then uh, 24.5 degrees Play-Doh, and they have like a ridiculous number of food pairings here. They say chocolate desserts... Passionate love and rage in front of a blazing fireplace. Okay, I can dig it. <laughs> Cheesecake, fruit tarts, big old blankets. All right. Ice cream, holiday parties, strong cheeses, and mythology. Do you like a good mythology pairing? Okay. that's uh, Those are some interesting pairing notes. Right? Oh, it's so good. I mean, I've, been, I've just been raging on this. I mean, it's like, a, it's like a dessert in a glass. So good. All right. Well, what I've got, as you said, it's something a little special. The- 1050 barrel aged. What? I gotta throw I gotta throw a shout out to Stefan. Um I tried to find this. I got in touch with the distributor here, called every shop they sent some to, and everybody was sold out within hours. Um so I I just missed it. And Stefan was nice enough to pick me up a couple cans um that I I went up to Seattle last week for something unrelated and we just met up and drank a couple beers and traded a little bit of stuff. Super good guy. Oh, yeah. Um, so this is their 1050, which is, if you're not familiar, you need to get things right with your life. Uh, it is their imperial stout that is called 1050 because it is 10.5% ABV. Uh, again, it's a seasonal imperial stout, so you can really only buy it like in the, I think it's between maybe October and December or so is when I usually see it around. Um and generally, I don't have a, too hard of a time finding the regular stout. Uh, but again, this was impossible. And it comes in what they call a stovepipe can. This is the, the first one I've ever seen. It is one, one pint and 3.2 fluid ounces, which I believe is 19.2 ounces. So it's a, this is a decent amount of beer at 12.9%. Woo! Yeah. It's, uh, I don't know if I'm going to finish the whole thing tonight. I might have to uh, seal it up and try to see if it survives until tomorrow but we'll see copy that uh and again oscar blues is in colorado in i don't remember what city they're in off the top of my head they're in longmont colorado 
And they kind of are responsible for beer, for craft beer at least, being in cans. Until they came around, craft beer pretty much came in bottles only, and cans were thought of kind of as cheap beer. And they completely changed that. Now everybody's putting things in cans because they're better, and they also were integral in inventing the crowler. If you've ever seen one of those, it's a big 32-ounce can that they fill like a growler, then they stamp the top on. You've got 32 ounces of beer sealed in a can ready to pop open and drink. They're fantastic. Uh, so I'm going to take a couple sips of this and see how it goes. Copy that. And uh, I'm pretty sure a 32 ounce of any 1050 would probably kill you because, you know, yeah. it's it's no joke. It's not no Nancy. It's, no, it's no Nancy beer. So talking about this black chocolate stout from Brooklyn Brewery. Woo! I mean, this this is what I love out of a chocolate stout. And there's some chocolate stouts out there that are really chocolate forward, and there's nothing wrong with that. But sometimes with a chocolate stout it, that, that is that chocolate and that sweet, I find that it kind of jacks my palate up, and it's really tough to do any kind of pairing or really you know, tough to taste anything other than the beer. What this beer does really, really well is you get that chocolate, and you get that velvety mouthfeel from the chocolate. And like the whole beer has just got a really great silky, velvety mouthfeel to it. That chocolate has a really short finish to it. It's not super sweet. It's not overwhelming. It allows all those malts that are in here to, to really express themselves. And the flip side of that is, especially when you're talking about stouts, you can get stouts that are really boozy. And even at 10%, I've had stouts that like come off as ridiculously boozy. And, and I like that. But again, when you have a really boozy taste flavor, it jacks your palate up. And it's really tough to pair that with a cigar because all you're getting is, you know, either um, a cask in, in, uh, cask flavors or that booziness carrying through running over any nuance in the cigar. Not a bad thing, just not great for pairing. In this case, this is a great beer for pairing because it's got all those things I love in a stout. None of those flavors are carrying really heavily in the, uh, you know, after I take a sip and, and overrunning the cigar. And it leaves me fresh to have a couple draws of cigar, come back to the stout, come back to the cigar, go back and forth, go back and forth. What's uh, what's your initial impressions, Trippy, of that uh, barrel-aged 1050? I really like it. And I think it goes really well with the cigar. It starts off with some, like, kind of the typical stouty flavors, some espresso, some chocolate, some kind of caramelized sugar. And <clears throat> then the finish is all vanilla kind of oak and just bourbon flavor. Mm. And it's it, it's interesting because I think they found a really good balance of the bourbon flavor. And reading up a little bit about it while you were talking, I think that uh, part of that is due to the hops. I did not realize, like, you don't get that much hoppy flavor from this, but it is 75 IBU. Wow. Which is like, that's double IPA territory. Yeah, that's not even single IPA. That's double IPA territory. Yeah. Uh, I mean, some West Coast IPAs, single IPAs are up there, but uh, that's a lot of hops for a stout. And you don't get the flavor of the hops, but I think it balances out the palate a little bit uh, because it, it doesn't have a super heavy or super long finish. Uh, it's just got some added complexity, I guess. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, think, that's... I think it's just the perfect balance between the bourbon and the stout flavors. Because like, like you were saying, a lot of stouts are really boozy, which, of course, mm-hmm. you know, this one is not very boozy. Uh, it's strong, not boozy tasting. But, which is impressive when you go over 12%. Yeah. And, and even with the bourbon, it's still not boozy tasting. Like some barrel-age stouts that 
that get up there in alcohol content are going to be not really watered down because they taste like they're watered down with whiskey. Um, and it just can, it ends up being kind of a boozy, overpowering whiskey flavor. And this has it just in perfect balance. Nice. I mean, it's, I, I don't know whether it's impressive of the beverages or really more an impressive statement of the cigar that, again, I'm still getting all of the flavors of the cigar. Got a great creamy finish to it. Um, you know, if you want a little bit of that spice to cut through some of the sweetness of the beverage, just take a retro hail and you're, you're woke right up. Spice city. Just spice city. I mean, it's just, again, this is, this is kind of what I thought of when we started doing the show so many years ago. And by the way, we're coming up on our three year anniversary on sharing our pairings, which how, how did that happen? My liver didn't implode, but, um, I mean, it's just so, it's so good. This is exactly what I like when I do any kind of pairing in a cigar. Um, and I think, I mean, I don't think this is a 10 out of 10, 5 out of 7, 100% pairing. But, you know, this is definitely in the 94, 95 category for me. Yeah, I agree with that. And um, I don't know if it's just this particular cigar. I might have to do some more research and pair some more cigars with this beer. But the beer, taking a sip and then immediately taking a draw off the cigar, there's layers more of complexity. I get a little bit more like some rich chocolate and some some woody flavors that I didn't yep. taste in the cigar at all before. Mm. Yeah, and it's like I said, it's amazing that some of those more subtle nuances from what is a six out of five for body cigar are not being run over by these spirits because these, the, the beer and the whiskey, I mean, these are not um, subtle beverages. These are very no, strong no, no, beverages. No. Um, I think, I think your stout experience is quite a bit different than my stout experience because yours being barrel aged, you're getting a lot of notes that I'm not like one of the things I'm definitely not getting is that espresso flavor. Um, mm-hmm. You know, this, this is really, what I think about, like, this is really truly a Russian Imperial stout just with chocolate. And so, you know, I think where it steps back is that a lot of Russian Imperial stouts tend to be on the boozy spectrum. And um, for good or for bad, this does not come across as 10%. It's, it, it sneaks up on you. Yeah, I could see this one sneaking up on you too, especially when you have it in two cans stacked on top of each other. Yeah, which, you know, great presentation, but um, man, that's a, lot of, that's a lot of beer, 12% to drink in a single session. Yeah. Um, and it, it makes me wonder why we don't see more barrel aged stouts in, in just 12 ounce cans or, or bottles. Yeah. They seem to always double up when it's barrel aged. Which, which doesn't make a lot of sense, sense because you're dealing with something that's higher ABV. So you don't, I mean, yeah. you really don't want to be drinking a 20 ounce. I mean, maybe people do. I don't want to be drinking a 20 ounce, uh, 12% plus ABV stout because I'm going to be completely gooned. By the end of that, I mean, ideally, I'm looking at 10 or 12 ounces, and that, that'll do me. Like, that's, you know, I'm, I'm tapping out at the, the last sip of that because that's kind of perfect. That's, you know, mm-hmm. this is not, it's not a sessionable ale. You're not, you're not pounding back these things. Well, my, Mike Harvey on Facebook says, but you can't have too much. Well. But, uh, I mean, for me, I'm a, I'm a the, guy with a tiny stomach. I feel like I can, I, I reach my limit very quickly when it yeah. comes to beer. Yeah, I do too. Actually, I find that um, you know, the the beer is self uh, self regulating for me because I can't, I just can't drink too much beer because like same thing, my stomach just gets full, uh, especially with stouts. Stouts are very yeah. filling. Um, I just find that I just can't drink stout over stout, and I don't want to drink stout over stout. You know, my goal is to drink the beverage and enjoy the flavor, not to get drunk. If I want to get drunk, I'll just break out some cheap whiskey. Yeah, exactly. Know? Cost effective. 
Do, speaking of the uh, audience members, do you have any other questions, comments, or feedback on Facebook? Uh, you have Facebook? a couple that I didn't get to interject with before. Uh, Nav Brar says he loves that beer. Uh, Aging Potential 2, talking about yours. Nav loves his Japanese whiskey as well. Oh. Um, and Jason Sofka, I feel like I've heard this, uh, this group name before somewhere. He says the Canadian cigar enthusiasts are joining tonight. Check them out on Facebook. I mean, I mean, I'm sporting the shirt. I get, yeah, I get, exactly. I get the shirt. It's, uh, I think it's one of the biggest, uh, maybe the biggest cigar group in Canada. It's a Facebook group. There's people all across Canada. Um, you know, being being good Canadians, you know, we we bust balls now and again, but uh, it's all good times. And uh, Jason is one of the uh, people in Alberta who is known to have visited almost all of our 16 locations throughout Alberta. Which, when you consider how big Alberta is, you know. North to south, it's as wide as like north to south is is taller than Texas is wide, so that's that's a lot of location spread over a large area. Yeah, yeah, that's a lot of driving to go to some cigar shops. It's a lot of driving, but as much as I enjoyed this stout, I think it's probably time to get into our our beast of a whiskey, the last big whiskey of the night. Oh which yeah. I actually had to crack this bottle; it was not open, which uh, sadly doesn't surprise me with my Scotch acquisition problems. But this is uh, one of the newest releases from Octomore. And for those who aren't aware of Octomore, uh, Octomore is basically a experiment that started when whiskey distilleries or whiskey distiller at uh, Bruclati, they just wanted to see how peated they could make a whiskey and they just wanted to see what the limit was. Turns out there really isn't a limit. They haven't found it yet. They haven't found it yet. So first of all, we'll just talk a little bit about Bacladi, um, and then we'll get in more of the whiskeys and talk about Bacladi after. But, um, you know, we featured them many times in the show before because they make delicious whiskeys. They are an Islay distillery. Uh, they use the spring at Octomore Farm as a water source. They were founded way back in 1881, and they're located in the north shore of uh, Lochendal, which is near Port Charlotte. And uh, Port Charlotte is uh, where a lot of the uh, maltings are done for distilleries these days they basically have big industrial maltings um so they basically a lot of the island distilleries outsource their maltings and they just do them in gigantic quantities but this is the octomore 7.1 and what makes this interesting first of all uh peat is measured in ppm which is phenols per million that's how you basically determine how peated something is a normal uh lafroig is at 45 ppm and yes. that's considered pretty peaty. A lot of people just can't even be in the same room when you open it up. There are uh, some Lagavulins that are in the 60 range and, uh, again, uh, considered very heavily peated. Ardbeg ranges from uh, 45 up to 70 and, again, considered heavily peated. To give you a sense of where this is at, this is at 208 ppm. Oh, my goodness. 208. It's, I mean, it's just it's ridiculous. Um, now... And we'll talk about it after, but this is only five years old. It's five years old, bottle of cask strength. It is uh, 59.5% ABV, which is a beast. And uh, if you look at it, I mean, it's, it looks like whiskey. It's just got a nice golden color. But uh, good Lord. I mean, it just smells, and this is probably going to be off-putting to a lot of people out there, but it just smells like uh, ocean water mixed with uh, iodine, mixed with uh, some sort of like uh, hospital cleaning fluid. Which is, you know, all of those things are delightful to me. So and, I'm gonna... and I get some, uh, before I get into mine, I'll say that I get some like burnt rubber too. Mm. So I have, yeah. uh, I saw what where John was oh, going so good. and I decided to go to the same place. 
So I have a bottle of Octomore 6.1, which is the previous release, also five years old. Um, <clears throat> so the way that they do the additions of this, <clears throat> each bottling is the main number, or each dis distillation, rather, is the main number. So mine is the sixth distillation, his is the seventh distillation. Um, and then the 0.1 means that they just took it straight out of the barrel into the bottle. They also have 0.2 and 0.3. I don't think they have 0.4, do they, John? No, I've, I've actually been at a, at a tasting just uh, a couple weeks back where I got to do the entire range, and I tasted the uh, the 1, 2, and 3, which is when I picked up the 1. But no, there's no 4, to my knowledge, so at least the, not yet. I, you, you may have to correct me on this. I know the 2 and the 3 are additional barrel agings Yep. in, in separate barrels. In, in Does different the barrels, 2 yep. mean that they age it in another barrel, and 3 means they've aged it three times? No, my understanding is a different type of barrel than two. Yeah, my understanding is it's just the second release of that expression. Okay. So it's just the second bottling, and they they have done something to make it different from the first bottling, and the third one uh, is different than the second one. I actually thought the second one was really close to the first one, but I, I remember um, I th if I I'm going to get this totally wrong, but I think it might have been um, additionally aged in uh, sherry casks, and that so the cost right of it was me. quite a bit higher. And for the for the flavor profile versus cost benefit, I was like, eh, you know, uh, I'm gonna go with the seven point one yeah. dog because it's it's tasty. But yeah, yeah, the point one series is already pretty pricey. Uh, yeah. But anyway, back to mine. Uh, this is the six point one, also aged five years. This one clocks in at a, at a measly one hundred and sixty seven ppm. <laughs> uh, so it's still crazy peaty, but just not quite as much as John's. Uh, and this one apparently had a little bit more evaporation, so it ended up at 57% alcohol. So I'm going to take a couple sips while you talk about yeah, that. Yeah, copy that. Copy that. So, I mean, this is definitely not a whiskey for the uninitiated. Even the initiated might have a tough time. First of all, um, at cask strength, I mean, my first couple sips just absolutely jacked my palate up. I'm, like, it just, it was just a punch in the palate. <clears throat> what, what always blows me away, though, is... It's not, it's just not as peaty. Like in, in so many ways, I find some of the little Freud and some of the art bag expressions to be peatier than something that's 208 PPM, which tells I mean, me on, that on the yeah. palate, some of those expressions are more overpowering, mm. than this, uh, which is again, really surprising. Sorry, go ahead. No, no. Yeah. I mean, you're absolutely right. I mean, like when I, and I love art bag, don't get me wrong, but art bag at a considerably lower PPM completely smokes out your palate. Like it's just, it just seems like it yeah. takes over your palate. And yes, I, I, you know, after my, um, palate recovers from the 59.5% bruising here, um, I do get that smokiness. I do get that, you know, there's like, um, it is like a road tar flavor, mm -hmm. but it's remarkably subtle. Like it's, it's amazing that a 208 PPM whiskey can not only be drinkable, but enjoyable. And, the the peat is like I would absolutely like the um, Ardbeg Ardbog, I would consider to be far more peat forward than this. Um, one of the things I do want to mention is that I have had the chance to try some um, older peated expressions, like really older peated expressions. And I think part of the reason why the Octomore does so well is because it's a young whiskey. When you basically when you sit a whiskey in a bottle or in a cask board, may the peat influence on that distillate just continues to fall away so part of the reason why this is so in your face is because it's five years if it was 10 years or 15 years or whatever 
it just wouldn't have the same impact that Pete would just not be as influential on the taste. Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, uh, five years is pretty young, particularly for this kind of price range. You don't find a lot of a lot of five year aged uh, scotches over a hundred bucks. And I feel so to to my palate, at least. So there's a ton of heat on the palate at first when you take the first couple sips. But then you get an initial kind of blast of sweetness. Yes. And that's where I think the similarity with the cigar is, is that they're much like the cigar balances out the spice with the sweet and the strength with the sweet. This whiskey balances out that peatiness with sweetness. Yeah. Um, and it it doesn't end up tasting overly sweet. I feel like if it was if it wasn't peated and you took a sip, it would taste like sugar cane or something. Yeah. But it, it ends up being remarkably balanced. Now, what's interesting <clears throat> is I've had whiskeys up to uh, 64.5% uh, ABV. And I have to say, at 59.5%, this is definitely one of the, like, this is a whiskey where um, I would say you might want to add a little bit of water yeah, to it because it's, a heater. <laughs> it's just, I mean, it's just, like, you hit, you said it, like, it just blasts your palate and, the, like, it just, it's got this huge finish in your throat. Mm-hmm. And it's really, like, I can't take sip after sip. Um, because it takes like a minute or two for my palate to, to acclimate. Now, interestingly enough, as, as big as this whiskey is, um, I'm still getting that creaminess out of the cigar. And, uh, when I take a retro hill, I still get it like a really nice amount of punishing spice, which yeah. is interesting because it does cut through that, uh, that sweetness from the, from the whiskey. I, I think I, I, it could be the evolution of smoking the cigar, but I think it's more the whiskey. I actually get more creaminess after drinking the Optimal. Mm. I mean, it is remarkable on a cigar that is considered this full-bodied how how um, approachable it is. At least if you're used to smoking full-bodied cigars, I think this. Is, if you're not used to smoking full-bodied cigars, this might kill you. Yeah, I can definitely um, see some nicotine sickness mm-hmm. for, for somebody who's used to uh, you know some macanudos. Yeah, macanudo. Um, I, I, I think the only thing is here with this, uh, Octomore and it's delicious. I think that high ABV is a little off putting for the pairing. Um, I think so. because it's like, it's a little bit of palate shock. Like every time I take a sip, I'm just getting a little bit too much palate shock. And so now that we're talking about Isla whiskey, Pete, I'll, I'll get back to one of our audience questions from a little while ago. I L McLaughlin says, love the show. Maybe I missed a few if you've already done it. But have you ever? Do you have any thoughts on a full-on Pete Lovers Scotch pairing show? Oh yeah, we've we've oh. done a few of them. <laughs> we've definitely done a few. Like 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 four or five because you know we're Pete heads. Oh yeah, we. I mean, both of us are. I mean, we're we just happen to be lucky that we both love Pete uh-huh. a lot. It's kind yeah, of. And I think it's okay. contrary to the way most people get into whiskey or Scotch whiskey, rather. I I thought I didn't like Scotch until I started drinking peated Scotch. And yeah, then you're I savage. got more into the the high the Highland kind of lowland, Speyside kind of distilleries. Um, but before I tried, I think it was Lafroig that was the first one. So before I tried Lafroig, I thought I didn't really like Scotch very much, um, and it turned out I just needed to warm up to it. Yeah, I mean you're a savage starting out in the in the deep <laughs> yeah. end of the. I mean that's like a guy who starts smoking cigars for the first time, and he's like, yeah, man, you know, give me that uh, give me that dark Antonio, like like just let's rock it. And, uh, and love cigars from that point on. I mean, that's very mm-hmm. rare. But uh, to answer this question, yes, we've had 
a ridiculous amount of pairings. And um, I think one of the one of the things we've taken a, taken away from those pairings is that there is this 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 thought this. Uh, attitude in the industry that, uh, and certainly within whiskey communities, that peated whiskey doesn't pair very well with cigars, and I, I, I completely disagree. Yeah, um, I can disagree with that one. Yeah, I mean, I, I've I've taken uh, Obons and Taliskers and Lafroigs and Lagavulins, and I've paired them from everything from a Cuban cigar all the way up to uh, something that's really nuanced and subtle, um, like something that comes out of the Hoya factory, like uh, the um, uh, Steve Saka's. Uh, Steve Saka's releases the Sober Mesa, yeah. um, which is which is a pretty subtle cigar, um, still goes really well with a pita whiskey. Like I still find that a pita whiskey is interesting. It's not so contrasting that it just is gross with the with the cigar. I think that pita whiskeys and cigar flavors kind of go hand in hand. Yeah, I completely agree. I think I think they just go to go together perfectly. But again, peated whiskey is just simply not for everybody. <laughs> No, I mean it, it. You know, I think um, the closest the closest analogy I can make is the um, Kentucky Fire Cured from uh, Drew Estate. I mean, it's yes. just it's a it's a flavor profile that's not for everybody, and it's just how it goes. Um, but if you like peated whiskey, I think you know you've got a range. You probably do want a cigar that's that's medium bodied and up, because it, you know if you had a Connecticut Shade blend, that's probably the wrong thing to be pairing with a peated whiskey. But, you know, you've got your Habano wrappers with a little bit of spice. You've got Rosado wrappers. Tonight we're doing Corojo. Um, Corojo works really well. Maduros are, I mean, Maduros are a no-brainer. You've got that sweet yeah, Maduro absolutely. leathery component, and then you mix in that that tar and burning tire. And, you know, again, some of our audience members are probably horrified by these descriptions, but uh, I think it, it all works really well. Yeah, and... It's all, I always feel weird describing peated whiskey to people because that's exactly what you run into. It's like, well, what does it taste like? Oh, you know, <laughs> just campfire, burning tires, seaweed, iodine. Summer, summer construction. Yeah, and people are just kind of off put by that. But once you kind of wrap your head around the flavors, you kind of get it. It's those, it reminds you of those things, but in mm. a pleasant way. Yeah, in a good way. I, don't, I, don't, I mean, it, until you get it, you re, you know you really can't. Um, I don't think you, until you get it, you can't get it. Yeah, exactly. So going back and recapping our pairings of the night, Trippy. Um, first pairing of the night, I did the eighteen-year-old uh, uh, Wilson and Morgan barrel selection from Tobermory. Um, to me, that was the pairing of the night, and uh, possibly one of the better pairings I've done in the last like month or two. Uh, for me, that was a perfect five out of seven pairing. Uh, what about your first pairing? Um, my first pairing, Oban just a perfect pairing i mean just perfect it's the perfect balance with the cigar um, without either of them running over the other at all and okay. it's just and a smooth easy drinking kind of scotch yeah yeah you can i mean you could sit all night with an obon and the uh dark antennial like that would you know that you're done you've you've started at the high water mark and you can pretty much just be finished for the night yeah talking about that beer really good pairing no question the cigar pairs really well with stouts. And I think, you know, we could do an entire stout show with this cigar easily. To me, great pairing. Not a perfect pairing, but this is, this is you know, a great maybe even doesn't describe it. It's, a, it's an exceptional pairing. This cigar does really well with stouts. Um, I'd probably rate it a 94, 95. I mean, I'm right. I'm, I, I feel like I'm piggybacking, but I'm right there with you. I mean, this, well, it's a different kind of beer from yours, but it just goes so well with the cigar that... Uh, that I I mean I don't know if I've had another beer that would go that well with the dark Antonio. And the last pairing of the night, which 
is really good. It's a really good whiskey, and it's a good it's a good pairing. But I think there's aspects of this Octomore that, and I, I don't think it's the Dark Antennial. Um, I think it's just that this whiskey is not a great choice for pairing with cigars because it's just a little too over the top for cigars. So I would kind of rate this last pairing maybe an 87, 88. Yeah, and and again, I, I really kind of agree with that sentiment. Octomore is an unbelievably good peated whiskey. Mm-hmm. I just don't think I've had a cigar that it goes really well with. No. Every time I've paired it, it's been a fantastic whiskey, but it it just doesn't meld well with the cigar. It doesn't overrun it at all, or at least not too much, but it you just don't end up with a great pairing where you want to go back and forth and back and forth. Exactly. So for those who are tuning in live, make sure to stick around for our After Dark segment. We'll be doing a little bit of chitty chat after the Armed Forces Radio Network segment. But I do want to thank all our Armed Forces Radio Network listeners who are out there in droves, stationed around the world, men and women. Thank you so much for protecting our freedoms. We know you guys are built to do things we are not built to do. Hope you have a chance to enjoy a Hoda Nicaragua cigar when you get some rack time, some 